podcasting the final audio frontier. These are the legends of Brown Squadron. Our computer is picking up a strange signal. Here, sir, you, you better take a look at it. The ongoing mission to explore the Star Wars universe and other nerd culture topics, to seek new content and new cantinas, bars, and lounges, to boldly annoy Scruffy by making too many bad jokes. Welcome to the Hyperspace Heroes Podcast. Welcome to Hyperspace Heroes. This is Brown Leader signing in. Who else do we have tonight? Brown 2 is signing in. Unfortunately, Brown 4 is out with the Padawan uh, watching the new Barbie movie, I think. Is that what they're doing tonight? Are they I doing? No, I have no idea, actually. They're they doing the double feature with Oppenheimer? Because I don't know if that's quite her... Uh, I don't know if that that's Brownie 4's uh, thing. No, but, probably not. Uh, probably not. So, well, we have a guest on tonight. Uh, and we, he is an author. He is a, you've, you may have seen him on TV and social media. He's very active in, uh, the media space. And that is Mr. Stephen Kent, uh, the author of how the force can fix the world. Welcome. Gentlemen, nice to be with you. Yeah. Uh, well, it's so, great. To, it's great to have you. Uh, do I gotta get my own call sign? Uh, oh, well, Yes. You know, more and more people are asking about that, Scruffy. Yeah, we'll know, talk right? about we'll, we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Actually, good. So, I want one. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. we've got we've got one picked out. Okay. We are ready. So, um, okay. So, uh, welcome. Uh, obviously, we're gonna we're gonna delve into some Star Wars because that is uh, kind of what your book is focused around. But first question we always ask our guests is, what does Star Wars mean to you? That's a wonderful and beautiful question. I would say that Star Wars means to me probably the the moment that Chewie and, and Han Solo come back on the Millennium Falcon in The Force Awakens and say, Chewie, you know, Chewie, we're home. Uh, Star Wars is home. And for me, that means going back to where I know that I'm happy, where I feel loved, where I feel excited about the future. Star Wars is the warm and fuzzies. It's also a place when I am thinking about Star Wars, I feel more connected with my childhood self, who I used to be. And in some ways, like the kid me is who I still want to be. <laughs> uh, that person dreamed bigger than I do. And that person was the person who could get lost in Star Wars. Um, so Star Wars helps me do that. You know, uh, the more and more people we ask that question, the more that, of that theme I seem to hear from everybody, that same similar theme there. Mm. Yeah, that I, I feel like even as I was saying it, I was drifting into uh, Don Draper's monologue in Mad Men on nostalgia, you know, where he's he's mm, looking at yes. a slideshow reel and, and he goes, oh, it's like the nostalgias. It's the pain from a, a wound. It takes us to a place where we long to go again. And I mean, gosh, they, they know that about us as Star Wars fans. They know that we all have that that ache uh, to feel like we're watching the 77 uh movie over again for the first time and uh for better for better or for worse that's that's how they're trying to speak to us <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely yeah, i think so 
So you were uh, you were raised on the prequels, though, right? I was raised on the prequels, yes. Yep. Um, I, I did see the originals first, uh, but I saw them on the 1996-97 box uh, set re-release, the, the gold box set. Uh, yes. I had... Still yeah, have I, had, I had those. I wore those out with my brother. Uh, so those were my introduction. But my first theater experiences were the prequels. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Phantom Menace. I know a lot of people my, mm-hmm. of Gen X want to talk smack about it. But I went in there without any without any, any knowledge of what was going to happen. I avoided any spoilers. I avoided any previews. I didn't even watch a trailer. So I went in there cold. And when I came out, I thought it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, oh, maybe awesome. Jar Jar was a little over the top, but you know, I had you know, I was like, okay, well, I have to remember that he has to appeal to some children as well as the adults mm-hmm. like me. So, I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Thought it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's some of the best. Uh, I think most well produced Star Wars that there is to this day, uh, with the perfect merger of practical effects on-scene shoots and, you know, more 2000s-esque uh, special effects. I, I really think The Phantom Menace got it just right in a way that maybe only The Force Awakens even got close to getting it right again <laughs> with that that balance, <laughs> that balance of special effects versus realism. Uh, and then, of course, it gave us the greatest lightsaber battle of all time uh, in The Duel of the Fates. Um, so... You know what? What's there to complain about? <laughs> Jar Jar, as, <laughs> right? As much as as much of a uh, OG person I am, I will say the Duel of the Fates lightsaber battle was pretty epic. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I and I think you're right with in Force Awakens too, because you know I know JJ. One of the things he was trying to do was emulate everything that was Star Wars behind the scenes as well. You know, so the the technology of BB-8, you know, as a practical effect and, and everything. And he was trying to emulate a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, I think you're, you're definitely right on. Um, and I know you, you talk about it in your book a little bit. And anyone that's been around, you know, there was a lot of hate during that time. Uh, OT fans were, there were the segment of OT fans. I know for myself, I didn't hate on it. I had little ones at the time, and it was a perfect opportunity to introduce new Star Wars to my little ones, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I wasn't online at that point. I was busy raising kids, so I wasn't pulled into any of that social or anything uh, that was that was going around. I didn't watch the media. We went and enjoyed the movies and had fun. And Jar Jar didn't bother me. I didn't, you know. There's going to be that goofiness, you know, and it is what it is. And. Uh, um, but let's let's talk about the book, uh, how the force can fix the world. Um, yeah. yeah, gotta say, yeah. I absolutely loved it. Um, I don't mm. usually do political reading and stuff, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I absolutely loved the book. I love the comparison of you know the force, the, the Star Wars um, analogies mm-hmm. and stuff, and absolutely loved it. I'm so I'm so happy to hear that, and it, it is written for uh, people like yourself who really are not a super excited or engaged with politics you know we all live around politics and it forces itself into our lives whether we like it or not uh and i i wanted to try to write to those people who are hearing things in the news they are aware of the discourse that's being had uh but they love star wars and that's their that's their number one when they they think about things going on in the world and in their hearts and so i i'm glad i got that balance balance right for you john 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's not that uh, I, I, I I follow politics. I'm, I you know I, I pay attention to what's going on. Yeah. It's just uh, I try to. Uh, it's depressing, <laughs> for the lack of a better way of phrasing it. At this point in time, uh, All right. it's like a storm is brewing. Uh, it's coming. There's and there's nothing we can do to get out of the way. It's something is going to snap. Something's going to change. So I try to avoid thinking about it or talking about it or looking at it. But the book really put it in a great perspective and you know kind of reminded me that there is hope that there is a possibility for change yeah there is a possibility for change and and hope i think in my book i i really tie to thinking about i don't know i guess our relationship to the next generation and whether or not we share uh positive and encouraging stories with young people uh, whether or not we are passing the torch to our children, both as Star Wars fans or, you know, when it comes to value systems that, you know, you and your family uh, adhere to and, and believe in. Um, you know, if we build a world where people believe in nothing but themselves, uh, we will get a world of lonely, atomized and selfish people. And uh, Star Wars is one of those things that I view as giving people you know whether they're they're religious whether they're spiritual whether they're atheist agnostic it's it's kind of one of those you know beautiful secular religion quasi mythologies that gives people a way to order the world that they live in i i saw the world through the lens of star wars before i saw the world through the lens of of my faith which you know i grew up around faith and the church but i didn't really i didn't really grab on till it till i was like 25 and my first way of translating morality, political strife, and all that was through Star Wars episodes one, two, and three. Uh, and I, I know that I know there are a lot of other fans who who live like that as well. Um, you know, their first quotes that they draw on for wisdom uh, are not uh, the Prophet Matthew, or, uh, you know, but uh, but you know Yoda, Yoda or Obi Wan, and you know. Say what you will. I think I think that's a great thing. It's it's not good for people to not have wisdom to draw on. Yeah, I I was well, probably similar to you. I was born and raised in a Christian home, and I, and then my grandfather's a Methodist minister. I was really brought into that a lot. Um, so yeah, I, I I as I gotten older, I tend to look more towards uh, the, the Star Wars as you know my positivity and stuff instead of you know i i I think that i think that you know george accomplished the fact that he was trying to create a modern day myth mythology and the the great thing about star wars is that we can talk about it from different backgrounds and because he tied he pulled from different like you talk about in your book the uh, the buddhism and some other faiths and uh it transcends one any one particular real world faith or religion and it gives a commonality that people can use as a connection point so whatever your background uh star wars you can talk through the lens of star wars and the truths uh because most faiths you know it's all about living a good life uh you know and being a good person and being a good member of the community and and it's just how it's represented is, is really kind of the big difference between, I think a lot of the faiths, but it's and not to dive too far into that, but it, it, 
Star Wars is that commonality. Star Wars is that pop culture commonality. We all have it in common. We all know something about it. We all know something about the characters. It's fun. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't go down the rabbit hole too deep in any one faith where it's going to offend anybody else. And yeah. so it's it a monomyth. Us, <laughs> it is. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It takes, it takes all of the the key planks of different myths from around the world and, and blends them into one and everybody sees themselves in it. And that's why it's so mm -hmm. universally beloved. And, you know, I write in the premise of my, my book that, you know, we're, we're living in a world where I think like our social media algorithm, algorithmic culture, our media environment, um, you know, the moneyed forces in the world that are invested in dividing all of us, making sure that we don't have shared culture, making sure that we don't have shared, faiths or beliefs or shared senses of where we come from, it's actually really valuable that we have stories where almost anybody on my block, I can ask them, uh, you know, to identify Darth Vader out of a lineup and they can do it. And they can maybe right. tell you that, you know, Luke and Leia are his children. Like that's actually a great, great thing for any culture because it just gives you something shared. And, you know, when it comes to the monomyth and the, the sort of universalist values, one of my chapters is on redemption. And the redemption chapter, I actually kind of delved really deep into where force ghosts come from. Because when people think about force ghosts in Star Wars, it's very quickly people sort of graph Judeo-Christian beliefs about the afterlife and redemption after death onto Star Wars because that's what they know. Uh, and Star Wars was born in the West, and so we sort of impose that Western value onto it, that Darth Vader dies, he shows up as a blue force ghost, therefore Christ-like redemption, life after death. And it's really actually not like that. Like Star Wars doesn't work like that when characters die. And we learn a lot through the Clone Wars animated series about how force ghosts actually come to be and what it takes for a Jedi to do that. And it really is not the Christ death where your slate is cleaned uh, because you made the right decision to believe in the end, right? That's that's not what happened, you know? And so I, I break down in the book how it's much more of an Eastern approach to philosophy and life after death um, mm -hmm. than maybe Westerners might be familiar with and also mm -hmm. draws on the Jungian shadow self and really knowing your dark passenger inside mm -hmm. and out as an equal part of yourself uh, mm -hmm. that allows Jedi to live on after death. So just to, just to kind of delve into it for your, your listeners here, like that's kind of what the book unpacks chapter by chapter. Yeah, I really, uh, when you talked about the Force Ghost, that, that particular part in making, explaining that because uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It could very easily be seen that way. But then you point out that Anakin is now a Force ghost who has quite the different story than uh, Yoda or Obi Wan. And uh, it was a really good point you made. I, I really, really yeah. made me made me think on that. That one hit, hit really hit home well because uh, you explained it in a way that uh, I think a lot of fans are willing to accept. Because there was a lot of arguments uh, for, between fans about how you become a force ghost yeah and mm -hmm. what has to happen to be for you to become a force yeah. ghost and who deserves it who doesn't who deserves it who doesn't it's that ability to finally win the battle over your own darkness to come back 
Yeah, you know, yeah. The, the chapter was kind of born out of thinking about the the specter of, of cancel culture, the, the thing that, you know, so many people discuss. Mm -hmm. Some say it's real, some say it's not, but everybody's a little bit afraid of it, <laughs> whether or not the ghost is real. Um, yep. Everybody talks about this thing. So I, I started with the premise of cancel culture and whether or not, you know, that there was a case for Kylo Ren to be brought back to the light um, you know, given all of his war crimes and his his evil doings, his patricide, all that kind of stuff versus Darth Vader, his his uncle, who was also or grandfather, who was also able to, to come back to the light. And, you know, that that bit about conquering your hubris is really, really important, because I think that's what so many people who think of themselves as pure and don't believe that cancel culture is a thing that exists tends to think that they are maybe above it like that, that they're a great <laughs> a great person who's never done wrong and harbors no sin <laughs> of any kind um and you know it's those people who, who ain't going to be force ghosts at least in star wars lore because those of us who really know you know that we're broken on the inside and recognize that you know, we have a darkness uh, and we are going to live with it and recognize it as an equal and valid part of ourselves as that of our light side. Um, in Star Wars, that's the, the way forward is full knowing of yourself. No hubris. Yeah, I love the fact that you pulled that Clone Wars piece in there because uh, I, yeah, I was wondering if you were going to get to the, you were going to get something from the Clone Wars because you did cover all nine movies really all nine movies book. yeah my my editors yeah. my editors did want me to stay away from animated stuff and and i i get why because you want the book to be accessible to any star wars fan yeah. So, yeah. so you stick to movies and and no cartoons but i was like this is the one exception <laughs> you've got to yeah, let it, me it do this one. <laughs> yeah it definitely had to be in there but yeah uh like a lot of the, a lot of the, my people i know you know they've seen the nine movies or may have seen most most of them but hardly any of them have seen the animated series and stuff right yeah the but casual star on... wars fan is the normal star wars fan yeah, yeah. right yeah. you touched on two subjects in here that uh, the fandom really gets into a into a into an argument over uh the other one is the balance <laughs> of the force well well two specifically that really uh that i know i've had many discussions with other people about including uh including you guys mm -hmm. uh the balance of the force and what does it mean to bring balance to the force <laughs> are you asking me what it means to bring balance to the force well i was mentioning you know, I, I i liked your i liked the way you yeah. described it it um and I'm not sure that everybody would agree, but I personally enjoyed it. I liked it. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember like it, how to sum up sum up what my take was, but it was it was basically just that the the Jedi uh, legend, you know, this this idea that they had prophecy, right, that the the Force was going to be brought to balance by a chosen one who was going to destroy the Sith, right? Destroy the Sith, bring balance to the Force. This is what the chosen one would do. And it's just kind of puzzling when you think about, I don't know, just like simple things like yin and, yin and yang, uh, mm -hmm. the idea that light and dark have to coexist, exactly like Luke says when he's on the island in The Last Jedi, talking about how the life and the death and the beauty and the chaos all have to exist together on this island, um, that the Jedi would think of balance as their enemies being destroyed. <laughs> uh, that's not that's not balance. Uh, and when you talk to 
Americans and the political context. And you go like, hey, you know, what kind of political system do you want to have? You know, a lot of people will tell you they want a balanced one where everybody's voices are heard. And, you know, they want everybody to have a seat at the table. But then you go, but what about your crazy Republican uncle? And they're like, mm-hmm. no, not him. So like, you know. And, and I have, I have like a, a crazy, like very, like very leftist uncle and I, I love him to death. Um, uh, but boy, he, he annoys me sometimes and I'm not sure if he should have a seat at the table. And my, <laughs> my, my point, my point is though, like the people often say they want balance, but they also want the people who they don't agree with to be gone. And that is not balance. Uh, you have to learn to uh, find ways to coexist, to discuss, to talk about things. But obviously, as we all know, as Star Wars fans, uh, the Sith are a ideology based in hunger and wanting more and more and more. They are not very good at coexisting themselves because they also have a ideology of domination. So uh, it's understandable. But then again, my book is a political analogy and Republicans and Democrats uh, do love to dominate each other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Very much so. Very true. Yeah, when I remember when the prequels were, you know, when they were fresh and it was all new and my kids were getting the chance to watch everything. And I I looked at them and because that thought occurred to me as we're going through the prequels, I'm like, well, balance isn't vanquishing your enemy. Balance is he did bring balance. There were two yeah. left. Well, before Filoni decided to. I know. Uh, yeah. You know. Now there's Jedi everywhere. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, yeah. they're hiding behind every, every tree and every rock. Um, so another survivor of order 66. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll yeah. say two and two, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. When the prequels were done, I was like, I looked at my kids. I go, well, you know, balance is, he did bring balance. He wiped, mm-hmm. there were too many Jedi and now there's two of each. And they were just, you could see them thinking. And, you know, my kids were little at the time and you know, just that emoji of, or the, yeah, the emoji of the, you know, the explosion coming out of the head, you could just see that in their eyes, you know, and they're like, Oh my, cause that, that hadn't occurred to them. And that was, and you're exactly right. That is what balance means. And it's, uh, and like Scruffy said, that is definitely a point of debate. And we've had that debate, I think internally ourselves many times. Oh yeah. Many times when we probably should have been working. You know. What was your other, your other, uh, point Scruff? Uh, two things. Well, it was the the first of the um, of the um, I lost my train of thought here. That's okay. That's okay. Balance I was four. I was just gonna I was just gonna add. You know the the balance the balance chapter is is perhaps one of my favorites because it is a a chapter dedicated to the idea that we're gonna have to give people who are not like ourselves space to live out their lives and everybody who hears me say that should look in the mirror uh Mm -hmm. and think you know like all right i am he is talking to me too and it doesn't matter like what your political persuasion is like this country is very big 50 states one day we might have more and you know the idea behind this country at least in the way that it is modeled now it's getting better every single day is that you know you're going to have states that are very different we're a republic uh, there's going to be, you know, very Texas things, very Florida things, very California and New York things. And the only way for this country to work 
is for everyone to embrace the idea that, well, all right, we're going to be a republic of a bunch of weird states, and we're going to let everybody do their thing as long as they're adhering to the Constitution, um, you know, in a reasonable way. But what we have instead is a mad fight for control of Washington, D.C. And the reason that we do that is because it's basically Death Star-like power. Um, if you control the federal government, uh, you control all three branches of the federal government in particular, you all of a sudden really do have the powers of the Death Star at your hand to turn on your political enemies around mm -hmm. the country and attack their way of life, uh, limit the, whatever rights they have that you don't like, all that kind of stuff. And it scares the crap out of people. And you mm -hmm. think about Tarkin and the... Um, what was his doctrine? Oh, gosh. I oh, the Tarkin doctrine. Duh. It was called the Tarkin doctrine. And it was his it was his philosophy of rule by fear in mm -hmm. the original trilogy period. He said, we're going to have the Death Star. It's going to keep all the star systems in line through fear. But that's not what happened. We all know that that's not what happened. He his the Tarkin doctrine was was wrong. It turns out when you point a weapon at people and present an existential threat, they band together <laughs> And they blow up the Death Star. Uh, it's the only thing that rallies the rebels all together to join forces and actually really face the Empire head on. Um, and so that analogy about balance is because I, I want people to think about if you make people feel like they have an existential threat every time your side gets control of things, there's no balance. That means balance is out of whack. Um, people should not feel threatened because of power change in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. Hey, that was that was a really that was a really good point. That really made me think. Um, you know, because I've for the longest time, I've everybody's like, "Well, what do you think?" Because I, yeah, you know, a lot of people know me now. I'm a little more right right wing now. Um, I never used to be. Um, I never used to identify as one or the other, but, you know, as we begin to drift apart and we're being forced to move into one category or the other, but I've always, you know, kind of went by the, went by the theory of, you know, you do you, I'll do me. We, you know, I don't care what you do. You just do your thing as long as, you know, we're all coexisting and getting along, which seems to be happening less and less these days. That's a very controversial <laughs> opinion. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. coexisting and getting along and doing your thing very very yeah. much so very much so <laughs> yeah. no and and you're not alone there's a lot of people uh in the middle of a realignment right now and that's uh that's happening for for my friends to the left as well and you know people mm -hmm. are resorting because the parties are changing and what it means mm -hmm. to be liberal or conservative uh isn't what it used to mean and in some senses it's it's always been this way uh, the cycle of light and dark and empires and rebellions, like this is the way things work. Things just kind of go around in a cycle and you just got to go along for the ride, but it is tiresome. Absolutely. So uh, get a little, get into a little lighter topic here. Um, it's been a couple of years since the book's been written. I was just wondering, how is that free range parenting going? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we're both Gen Xers. You know, we were both uh, born in 70, 71 or 71 and 72. Um, that was, I've never heard of, I've never heard it referred to as free range parenting. Uh, that was just my life. Yeah. There was always about two hours between mom going to work and dad coming in where I showed up on the bus and you know I kind of uh, let myself in the house made myself lunch or dinner or whatever and mm -hmm. watch TV <laughs> and then the it's, uh, it's, kid. It, yeah. yep. 
and it just made me laugh. Oh, uh, you know, the free range parroting comment, and I'm like, oh, that's a, no, I that's, that's so new thing. it's it's so funny because yeah, people people my age tend to tend to be familiar with that that term. And it is hearkening to the days of the Stranger Things kids and the E.T. kids just, you know, roaming around doing their own thing as long as they're home to, to be in their bed by the time their parents crash. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, now mm-hmm. now it has a moniker. You're a free-range kid or a free-range parent if, you know, you actually embrace the idea that your kids don't have to their whereabouts don't have to be known at all times or that you simply just let them go out and do things outside of your supervision um and in some parts of the country uh it's illegal it i mean it it is (laughs) illegal like in maryland at least up until 2015 um people were having their kids taken away by child protective services for letting them play at parks in their neighborhoods without supervision. And now there are laws needed to actually protect parents uh, who want to make those those choices. Um, you asked me, how's it going? It's going fine. Uh, you know, every day is scary. I And it's it's not because uh, it's not because I'm afraid when I send my daughter out into the world, maybe to go pick up something from the store unsupervised or I don't know, just be gone for a couple of hours. It's because I don't know if someone's going to call the cops. Um, I'm not afraid of her being hurt. I'm afraid of a cop showing up on my doorstep and going, I found your child. Where were you? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm very afraid of. Um, uh, but it's, understand uh, that. it's a worthwhile risk because, again, kind of to ground it in Star Wars, um, the battle against fear, the fight against fear is what we are called to do. Uh, to walk that hero's journey in any sort of sense. And, mm-hmm. you know, being afraid of letting your kids out of your sight, like so many people are after the 1990s going into today, um, you know, it's a it's a fight worth having um, so that everybody mm-hmm. is growing and being stronger. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, how else are you going to learn um, without getting that, that little taste of freedom a little bit more, you know, a little more and more as time goes on. Well, we know we know the answer is that a lot of people just aren't. Uh, kids right. are kids are entering kids are entering high school age and college with record levels of anxiety, um, social uh, social fear and depression, and that all stems from a lack of fortitude, know how, and practical life skills. Um, you know, actually or, having confronted uncomfortable situations in their life. Or as you referred to, a bubble wrapping kids today. Mm-hmm. As you it, know, when we when we were growing up, it was uh, you know the weakest of us ended up on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, <laughs> you know? and that's just how you know that's how Mother Nature intended that kind of thing. You know? <laughs> well, you know, we had the chance growing up. We had that chance. We were interacting with our peers, and we were learning about our peers. And you know, you touched on it in your book a little bit, and that. The kids, you know, we all came from different backgrounds. Our houses were all, our households were all different. When I was four, my dad was, my dad was a lifelong pilot. And back then when I was four, this was late seventies, I was running up and down flight lines by myself over to the weather station while my dad was taking a nap in the back of the plane. And Mm. the people, but you know, and the people, cause we would get up at 4am, walk five miles to the airport and you know, his job was flying all day and, and, uh, 
flying cargo and stuff. And, you know, there was a community because the, I had run over to the weather station and the people there knew me, they knew us and I'd hang out with them. So my dad could get a rest and there, there was community. And then going back to the kid thing, you know, like I said, we were all different households. And so what my parents were raising me on was different than what my friend's parents were raising them on. And, and, you know, we got to compare and contrast those backgrounds just through our interactions. And, you know, we learned about different things and different perspectives in life because of that, because I was allowed to do this, but maybe they weren't or vice versa. And and why was that, you know, and value Mm -hmm. systems and everything. And, and then going to sleep over at friends' houses and then seeing how their family functions. And, and it just, yeah, we don't have, you you touched on that because you were like the, about the neighbor's daughter or when your daughter went over to the neighbor's house and, and, you know, in the, the text you got from the neighbor about like, how dare you send your daughter over and, you know, having this, you got to schedule the play dates and all that. And, and, uh, I was, and what I really want to touch on was that I was really impressed with how timely your references are in this book. Your, you know, everything is within recent modern memory. And, uh, you know, so I really encourage, uh, all of our listeners, um, all four of them, to go out and <laughs> to read the book and read the book now. You know, don't wait. Don't sit on it. Don't wait on it because uh, it does. It ties into modern life in all the ex- common experiences we've had over the last, uh, what is it, five years, six years, something mm-hmm. like that, you know. And um, so, so yeah, kudos on that. Kudos on the timeliness of all your references. Oh, thank you. And, and, you know, I, of course I credit it to, to Star Wars and, you know, this exciting era that we're in with, uh, you know, with Disney being at the helm, I, you know, you can say what you will and there's lots to debate about, uh, the content, but, um, it's, it's just such a fun time to be a Star Wars fan. There's so many stories. And I knew when I was writing this book, I was like, it's going to be relevant always because there's Mm -hmm. just constant more Star Wars stories coming that make all these these stories that I'm telling from political history and, and you know, the news headlines click. And, right. uh, you know, un- unfortunately, I don't think our political situation is going to change or evolve uh, in a significant way for several more years, at least. So, you know, I think everybody will will find it recognizable when they're reading it. So back on your balance, uh, I think it was the balance chapter and you were talking about, you know, what it was taking to put the alliance together. And you had your extreme uh, actors like Saw Gerrera and the impact that they had on the alliance. How excited were you when Andor came out and you just basically it just just exploded your whole example of that? I mean, just case in point, it was everything you said in that chapter was Andor. I know I was I was super excited and um, I wish I had done more like op-eds and articles you know about about Andor when it was out I was I was feeling so tired after the book coming out (laughs) I I was exhausted and then I was like if Mm -hmm. I if I were writing articles about Andor right now maybe my book would would be would be blowing up a little bit quicker Um, but boy it was so cool to see that divided rebellion and those internal divides that we saw in Rogue One spelled out even more in the Andor series. 
Um, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, not many people seemed to have watched Andor. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess uh, I guess it doesn't matter too much for uh, for the salience of the book. But um, yeah, you know, we we saw in Andor the birth of Andor's belief in hope and why he does not align with the Sagarreras of the world because he is a guy who based on the things that has happened that have happened to him in his life the arrests that he experienced the jail time that he did the the evil that he's seen he should be a Sagarrera follower and I'm kind of surprised he's not but it has a lot to do with his exposure to that kid Nemec who was writing the manifesto in Andor about mm-hmm. standing up to the empire and being a spark that lights hope in the hearts of people, a belief in freedom. Sagarera doesn't believe in freedom. Sagarera believes in defeating the empire. <laughs> and Andor Andor gets that. Cassian Andor gets that. And I, I was glad to see that in the show. Uh, something you touched on in the, I think it was the, I want to say it was the choice section chapter um it was kind of funny because it annoyed me as well in the sequels that when they kind of changed course on the whole ray nobody thing because Mm -hmm. i thought that that was such a great you know in last jedi when when they led you to believe she was just a nobody i thought that was great i mean she didn't have to come from any particular background and and yeah when the theories were running around i was a little towards the obi-wan myself but um the you know and then when jj changed course in the last movie and you know and made her a palpatine i I felt like it kind of undercut uh Mm. the value of what ray was was really bringing to the story yeah i i too was on team ray nobody uh and before ray nobody was canonized i i thought maybe she was a kenobi because as star wars fans we all have a family lineage brain we're all like oh Mm -hmm. whose father is it (laughs) yeah Uh, but no ray nobody i thought was a beautiful choice and it was it was the different choice for star wars right Uh, and then and then backtracking to palpatine yeah, I, I wrote about it in the book. I, I found it so demoralizing and derivative. However, what she did in the end, choosing to be a Skywalker, putting that mantle upon herself as somebody who wants to walk like Luke and Leia walked, uh, there you go. That's the silver lining because that is so true to, I think, how so many of us should live Um there's a, there's a passage by the Roman philosopher Seneca. Uh, he mm-hmm. was one of the aides to Emperor Nero and a, a, a Stoic. Um, uh, he wrote that we can all choose whose children we are based on what we read, based on the way that we carry and, and live our lives, and that when we choose the tradition that we want to walk in, we can inherit our hero's name. We can inherit our hero's property. Uh, and you see almost all of that come out in Ray Skywalker from the name to the lightsabers <laughs> to even mm-hmm. being at the Skywalker property uh, on Tatooine. I-, I was like, oh my gosh, is this like speaking directly to Stoic philosophy? Because it's it's dead on. And I, I think it's a great, a great twist. Hmm. I hadn't really thought of it that way. That's a I very interesting either. perspective. Yeah. No, and, and it, it was something I I read. I I was I was I'm sort of a, a dork for for Greek and and Roman philosophy, and I was reading it in uh, Seneca's On the Shortness of Life, 
and there's this passage in there and it just it just blew me away it's like this is the ray skywalker story described in one single passage if i can find where i wrote about it uh, i will bring it up because i think y'all will will really love it um, yeah I, i'm a fan of greek philosophy myself i'm a i'm as somewhat of an amateur uh studier of stoic stoicism myself and um, I saw a lot of that in, you know, a lot of that underlay uh, of that stoicism in a lot of the points you were making. Um, may I actually, I found the passage. May I read it to you? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So imagine, imagine right now, Ray is on Tatooine. She's wandering around uh, the ranch and she is bearing the lightsabers and the old lady is walking up to her and she's asking her, you know, who are you? Right. And there's the moment of silence as she thinks about it. So here is Seneca writing uh oh my gosh i you know within a hundred years a.d uh, in rome he says we are in the habit of saying that it was not in our power to choose the parents who were allotted to us that they were given to us by chance but we can choose whose children we would like to be there are households of the noblest intellects Choose the one into which you wish to be adopted, and you will inherit not only their name, but their property too. Nor will this property need to be guarded meanly or grudgingly. The more it is shared, the greater it will become. I I love that. I mean, and it just made me, it made me go, all right, the people freaking out over her taking the Skywalker name as if she didn't deserve it. That's such bull. It becomes greater uh, by someone going, I am walking this path too. Because you know what? My dad, my entire life to this day, still calls me Skywalker. It's like it's like my nickname in the house. You just and I come come over to his house. He goes, "Hey, Skywalker, come on in." Uh, and it's I, I I identify with that. I want to be a Skywalker. Um, so she can too. And that's the power of choice and free will and self determination. Also, I hate that movie, but that's beside the point. <laughs> so you see, you see what I with this book. With this book, I, I I'm always mining for the silver lining, like what right. I loved, what I love in different Star Wars movies. I may not actually like the movie, but there's wisdom to be found in all of them. That okay, that was extremely well put because I I have gotten on several debates with uh, various fans about Ray Skywalker, and mm. I'm gonna have to remember that because that is uh, that that summarizes it, clears it up, kind of. Mm-hmm. My main gripe was she didn't lose a body part to take before taking the name, because uh... oh, 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 that's a lot. <laughs> A rite of of passage. (laughs) Exactly. If you're going to really be a Skywalker, you you got to, yeah, you got to lose a a limb. You got to lose a limb. Yep. (laughs) So, okay. So we're around the topic real quick of didn't like that one. What did you think of The Force Awakens? Uh, It worked for me at the time. I remember walking out of the theater because I was with my brother. And, you know, when you're with your brother and you're having a good time. Also, I was with my daughter and when my daughter is around and we're watching Star Wars, I always have on an extra happy face uh, because I, I don't I don't want to exude my negativity and force it onto her. And so I walked out feeling pretty happy. She was happy. We were having a good time. Um, I would say then a couple weeks later, as I started to think about the movie more and I saw it again, that enthusiasm definitely didn't stay. That The movie did not age like fine wine. 
um, mm-hmm. like some other ones have. Uh, but I do think it's a good Star Wars movie. It looks good. It's well paced. The lightsaber battle in the end is top notch. I love the raw, kind of brutal nature of Rey versus Kylo. It's a very violent fight. It's sloppy mm-hmm. too, and I, I just I enjoy watching it. Um, and I also like the way that Han's death was handled, and I I'll defend that to my uh, my last breath. I was just happy for Harrison because that's what he wanted for a long time. So he got he got <laughs> his death like he wanted. So this I is true. He, got his yes, wish. he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he did. He did finally get his wish. Yeah. Uh, may I, May I ask? Uh, did y'all take umbrage or offense with Han Solo being stabbed and tossed into an abyss? No. Um. I. I it caught me by surprise. Uh, you know for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. and you know. Like I said, that was uh, that was Harrison Ford's wish was for that character to finally be gone. But um, no, I think uh, I think it was essential to the story, and uh, and it was like okay, because you know, in a good movie, not all the not all the good guys live. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the good guys die, and it was a very brutal death that just his sacrifice to his son. Mm-hmm. I uh, was just, you know, it was, just, it was shocking. And it's very rare that you get sh- that I was shocked in a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I, the, the... I never have been shocked in Star Wars, really, ever, until that. Yeah. I, the, as the scene was progressing, I was kind of starting to get that vibe. Something was, just maybe it was the way they tied everything together with the lighting, like mm-hmm. even you referenced in the book, you know, the red and the blue, the the music, everything was just giving me that. I'm like. I think Han's going to bite it here. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know exactly how, but so I wasn't too shocked when it happened. And, uh, and like, and then of course the cynical side of me, like I said, when, when he did die, I was like, well, okay, I could, I'm not surprised because that's what Harrison wanted. So, uh, you know, after the first film, so it, it wasn't too big of a shock for me. Yeah. I remember as, as the scene was unfolding, I remember distinctly, turning my head to my left where my brother was sitting and just looking at him and going here it comes you know and I put my hand I put my hand on my daughter's leg because I knew what was about to happen she was probably I don't know six or seven at the time and uh, and a Han Solo fan so I I knew what was about to happen Um, but no there's there's not actually many Star Wars scenes that can successfully make me cry um uh, you were my brother. I loved you. Episode three is one of them. Yes. Uh, that one, that that part got me in theaters when I was fifteen. It can still sneak attack me now. And uh, then there's Return of the Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the scenes of, of Vader's redemption at the end. And then there's this scene. Just the 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 power of Han Solo putting his hand on his son's face like that. Um, and again, if you wanted to talk about like, you know, religious analogies and Christ-like moments, it doesn't get actually much more Christ-like than that. It's, it's the, the hand of the face, forgive them, uh, father, they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put my hand on your face, say that I love you. I'll give you anything. Uh, and, and I, and I think, I think he knew what was about to happen. There's a lot of theories about what he thought was going to happen in that moment. And I think he went there to die 
and he wanted to make it easy <laughs> for Kylo to do it because he knew what Snoke knew in episode eight, which was that it would break him. Um, and it did. So like yeah. based on based on the fact that that is what happened, that it broke yeah. Kylo Ren and got him back on the path. Mm-hmm. I think that's what Han's intent was. Uh, otherwise, his death was in vain. Um, <laughs> right. Agreed. I, I think it was the the put yourself up on the cross and uh, shock people with how much you love them kind of deal. Yeah. yeah. The only other scene that shocked me, uh, of course, you know, was the original trilogy where Darth Vader looked at Luke and said, no, I am your father. But of course, major you know, twist. Then, that was, that was <laughs> right. a major twist back then. That was I left everybody speechless. That was all we talked about the next day. I at can't. School. I can't yeah. imagine what that was like. You know, it's just one of those generational oh. things. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. it was. It was. It was crazy. It was. It was, it was epic. It was awesome. Yeah, you go there to was, school the next you know, day, like. Ever did you? Did you see it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, we yeah, it was all we talked about all day. I think. Uh, that's yeah, it was, it was one of those moments uh, where, you know, you could hear everybody in the theater. Just a sudden gasp. Because, wow, that was it was kept such a great secret. Mm-hmm. And, and, and even, you know, today, obviously, nothing's kept a secret anymore. <laughs> yeah. Something gets leaked. It always gets leaked now. Um, let's... Uh... I think the only thing we haven't touched on is your chapter on humility, um, which I thought was a, a really good because that's that's pure stoicism right there was your chapter on humility um, mm-hmm. and uh, about being and their last Jedi. I think one of my favorite parts, or I think my favorite part, or uh, was when Yoda comes back and the interaction between Yoda and Luke. And you got that very whimsical, um, childlike Yoda, you know, which harkens <laughs> back to harkens back to when he first met him on Dagobah in Empire. And for me, that was um, uh, you know, the Stoicism tells us that it, it's uh, you know about keeping an open mind to everything and always being open to what's around you and. Uh, that, you know, and it, uh, I think Luke is pulled from like the kind of the, uh, old martial arts or, you know, the Japanese films and everything where that wise leader was that same way. Why? Because they were always open. They were always perceiving. They were always, you know, and they didn't have, they didn't make a judgment at the time they were accepting what was around them and, and analyzing it. And, uh, so to, I did like the fact that they brought that back in in that scene with Luke and um, Luke and Yoda. When uh... yeah, no, that's that's an interesting framing. That that's sort of the spirit of Yoda mm-hmm. uh, when he returns in the episode eight. He's, he's jovial and fun, and he's poking mm-hmm. fun at, at how serious and, and yeah. downtrodden Luke is in that moment, and he's giggling again, uh, mm-hmm. which is which is so. Yeah, it helps like shake him out of his his little moment of depression that he's having, um, mm-hmm. gets him back on his feet. But you know, also the the chapter on humility, um, it, it is rooted in a in a Bible verse at the end. Um, and the book is not um, 
a religious book, but every every chapter drives derives from some piece of wisdom um, in ancient texts or philosophy. So this one derives from Matthew 18 verses two through five, and it's it's the verses where Christ says to his followers, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I, I asked people in the chapter to think about what that really means. And I talked a little bit about child rulers on Naboo and why Naboo has mm-hmm. teenagers for queens. Uh, and they've sometimes had younger than teenagers for, for monarchs on the planet of Naboo. Why do they do that? Um, and it has a little bit to do with what you mentioned about Yoda and that spirit, which is that... Mm-hmm. It's not that Christ is calling on his followers to be naive, because we do think of children as naive. They, they'd walk across the street if you don't stop them. Um, but they know that they need help. That is what it means to be a child in you know the presence of, of Christ or in the presence of a parent, is that you are looking to somebody to feed you, to clothe you, to house you. You go, I don't know how to spell, please teach me. Like that's what it means to be a child. Um, And to be a Christian in this context as well, you need to know that you need a savior. If you're perfect or you love your sin, you don't need saving. Uh, mm-hmm. So in the in the Christian sense, like, again, that's what it means to be like a child in the presence of God. And in the Star Wars way, I wanted to break down why Padme made such a great ruler um, and such a great leader in episode one. And it's because she was humble enough to go before the Gungans, kneel and go, you are my rivals. And we don't get along. We never have. But I need you. And we are equal in great societies. Mm hmm. Yeah, the way you framed it in the book definitely made me... I hadn't really put too much thought into that. You know, it was just... I just accepted the story for what it was at the time. and and uh, Like a normal, well-adjusted person. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but but it definitely it definitely put some more depth into that scene, for sure. I'm, I'm glad. I, sometimes sometimes my, uh, my, my analyses of these things can maybe be psychotic, but... Uh, you know, <laughs> They're well, they're well reasoned, and I believe in them right. very much. Yeah, no, I yeah. appreciate that. Uh, I lo- I always did love that scene, um, the way she went about that. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's particularly layered in a way that you don't notice until maybe someone asks you to rewatch it again. <laughs> and it's so funny because uh, I, I work in poli- political media, so I do like Fox News, um, sometimes I'll do like Al Jazeera International, so like left and, you know, left-leaning and right-leaning news. And my whole business is talking about politics in short sound bites on TV. And I'll tell you what both sides dislike about each other, what they disdain in one another, is both sides feel that the other side looks down on them. They both mm-hmm. feel that the other side thinks of them as lesser. Um, Mm -hmm. On the right, the most common narrative is the uh, aloof city-dwelling liberals with their multiple college degrees uh, and their big fancy vocabularies and stuff like that. (laughs) Their lattes and their their baklavas. Um, You know, that's kind of the thing that on the right, that's the complex, right? Um, That they disrespect us and they look down on us. And, And on the... The other side of that that coin 
the um, you know people more to the left tend to think that the right looks down on them as I don't know like degenerate or weirdos or counterculture not real Americans like all this kind of stuff they that they're lesser in some way that they don't belong um, and what Padme and and Boss Nass reveal in that moment is Boss Nass hears her say that to her and he goes Yusa don't think you're greater than the Gungans Misa like that Wisa can be friends <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's actually like that's that sums it up you don't think you're better than me oh okay all right let's talk um because that is what we all struggle with so much is we think that the other side you know is thumbing their nose at us um mm-hmm. and it hurt it hurts mm-hmm. And I think people who won't admit that it hurts aren't being truthful <laughs> with themselves Agreed. or with others. And and I, I, I did like that about the book and, and the fact that irregardless of your personal political uh, perspectives, you balanced the book on both sides, getting into the political, what can often be a quagmire of a discussion. And you, you kept it balanced, you, like you just highlighted right there in that in that situation. And so I truly appreciate it. And I think for our listeners, you know, we, we oftentimes we, we play it safe in the star Wars universe. We stay in the star Wars universe. We don't really want to offend anybody. Um, you know, because we do enjoy this community, uh, and we're, we've got our walls personally in our lives. Politically, we have walls and we don't want it to, you know, we, we try to, like I said, we try to play it safe when we're here in the star Wars community, but I encourage everyone to read the book because you do that balanced approach and I, and I appreciated that. So, uh, and especially because what it really does, and it's something you touch on your book, which is it for your, in a way it's forcing us to look in the mirror, uh, to analyze our ourselves, um, ir- irregardless of whether you're left, right, center, whatever. Um, and that's one of the one of the points you make in the book about the start about Star Wars and and the forces that it, the the hubris you know and, and facing your other side and it, it's too it's oftentimes it's very easy to just hide in Star Wars as an escape you don't want to deal with the reality you don't want to deal with yourself um, in the real world so it's an escape and people run but you show it a way that it really can help us in our real lives. It helps. Star Wars helps so many people, and uh, fans don't think about it as as being, you know, political in that sense. And and you know, maybe it's not right, but Star Wars helps all of us. I I can't tell you how many times I've called on Star Wars, um, you know, for guidance in a, a situation, in an argument, in facing a fear. Um, you know, thinking about a new job that I'm going to go into where I don't know if I have the skills, and I I literally will think about it just for a moment as being like the force cave on Dagobah, the dark side cave. And like, you know, what's inside there. I'm afraid of going into that place. Um, you know, and, and then you got to remember only what you take with you. Um, right. you know, what's, what's inside that cave, uh, is, is fear, uncertainty, your insecurity, whatever you've got on your back is going to be the struggle that you face in this new opportunity, right. And the job in this analogy, but, um, Star Wars is is there in the back of all of our minds like this. Uh, some people mm-hmm. draw on it more consciously, others others don't. But that's why I started my Star Wars podcast years ago. It's it was called Beltway Banthas, 
And it was mm-hmm. just a, it was an exploration of why politicians on the left and the right love making Star Wars analogies, love talking about like, oh, you know, those people over there, they've gone over to the dark side or Ted mm-hmm. Cruz will make some joke about the Jedi or whatever in a speech. And it's like, all right, well, like, how do liberals and conservatives both use Star Wars in their vernacular, but they mean mm-hmm. completely different things? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that's Star Wars is baked into our language. It is. You're absolutely right about that. Well, uh, I we've really talked in depth about a lot of the book, and I still want readers to discover some things. Um, so I think that's a really good spot to kind of wrap things up, unless Scruffy had any more questions, or uh, Stephen, if there's any more points you wanted to make about the book. Yeah, just that uh, it's available anywhere that books are sold. You can get it from any any book vendor that you prefer to buy from. But Amazon is quick and easy. So uh, mm-hmm. quick and easy in this context does not lead to the dark side. You can just go grab How the Force <laughs> Can Fix the World right off Amazon. I also did the audiobook myself. So if oh. you don't if you don't find my voice annoying, uh, it is on Audible. And I did a read of it from front to back. I think it's beautiful. There's music and all sorts of, uh, of clever editing techniques throughout. So I hope people will check that out. Uh, and then the last thing I would just plug is that I am back now in the Star Wars podcasting game as of yesterday. Uh, I have oh, combined cool. awesome. I've combined forces with my longtime friend and fellow Star Wars podcaster, Riley Blanton, formerly of the Star Wars Report. And we have launched a new show called Walk the Way. And Walk the Way is going to be a Star Wars philosophy and pop culture podcast. Probably 75% Star Wars and philosophy, but then the other 25% might touch on other movies and shows that we find interesting at the time. Um, And I hope people will check it out. It's going to be shorter content, bite-sized wisdom, and pieces of sort of self-help that can maybe guide you through your weeks. Um, So that's kind of what that podcast is going to be about. It's called Walk the Way. And it's uh, inspired by my Substack, which is thisistheway.substack.com. Very cool. Very cool. Do you guys already have episodes out or are you just starting? uh, Okay. We just put our our first episode out uh, yesterday and it is actually on what we discussed today, which is Ray Skywalker and uh, the words of Seneca about how you can choose your name uh, and walk, walk the ways of your heroes. Very cool. Very cool. And that's on all the podcatchers. Yes, sir. You know, so, okay, Spotify, Apple, all that. Okay. Well, very cool. I'm definitely going to be checking that out and uh, giving that a listen. So, very cool. Very cool. Um, all right. So, we, uh, you, there had been something on Twitter a couple weeks ago, and uh, because I am a, a, a Twitter junkie, um, and it got me thinking. It, it you know, the whole uh, old man. Uh, you know, the bitter old man syndrome is, is we're kind of seeing in terms of how they're portraying uh, Disney seems to be betraying, starting to portray a lot of characters. And I, I know that's a point of irritation to some fans, especially older fans. Um, you know, you had old man Luke, you had Ben or, or uh, um, Han. Um, some people had even talked about, uh, Indy in the new Dial of Destiny. And then I had seen, I just finally caught up on Marvel's Secret Invasion, but people had been kind of talking about how uh, 
I like to affectionately call Marvel Mace Windu or Nick Fury, um, (laughs) you know, suffering the same syndrome. And, uh, you know, we're seeing quite a bit of it. And I kind of to the point of uh, it's kind of becoming overload. It's kind of become tiring. It's it's uh, it's becoming too easy of a narrative, I think. Uh, I feel like at times and. I, I was trying to think back or I was trying to think a little deeper in terms of why is Disney doing so much of it? Some people are annoyed by it because it's it's kind of they say it's ruining their childhoods or whatever, you know, like the whole loop debate, <laughs> uh, the whole loop debate. You know, he ended Jedi on a very hopeful note. And then you see him in uh, Last Jedi and it's people have trouble making that leap of where they saw him at the end of Jedi to. Uh, and I think in particular, it's the scene where. Uh, you know, it looks like he's going to kill Kylo, uh, you know, for having a bad dream. And it's uh, that really alienated a, a segment of the fan base because uh, they had trouble groping with that. But and I don't want to really dive into that so much. It's just this how a lot of these characters they seem to be portraying is that old bitter man thing. And I got to think about it. And Scruffy and I had talked about before the sequels even came out as Gen Xers. You know, we wanted something when they talked about new movies before the sequels came out. We talked about what we wanted, which was we wanted because we're older, we've lived more life. We want to see progression of story. uh, We want to see something different. We want to see something gritty. And we got that with Rogue One. Rogue One was a very good example of what we were kind of looking forward to. We didn't need it so much with the Skywalker saga, but I got to thinking about it and um, I know this is kind of a long-winded introduction mm-hmm. to the topic, but what dawned on me when I saw that Twitter thread was everybody making those stories right now are Gen Xers. Mm. And we grew up in a time, a very as a generation, we became very cynical uh, because of all the events going on in society that shaped us at the time. And it it clicked for me. I was like, well, no wonder we're getting so much of this. This is exactly what we've talked about doing for so long. And now that we're in kind of the control seat of, uh, making stories, it's what we're doing (laughs) and it's causing us to, and, and here's the final point I wanted to get to. It's causing us to look in the mirror at ourselves as a generation, I think. And we're not liking what we're seeing. That's a powerful analysis. I I have not actually heard that take and I now want to hear or like read, you know, read an entire analysis of how kind of gener- Gen X Gen, Gen Xerism uh, sort of made the the sequel trilogy. It makes sense. I I recently read a book titled Generations: The Real Difference Between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X and Boomers and and what it means for America's future. It's um it was by Gene Twinge. And in this book, Generations, she does a sort of a a profile of really what Gen Xers are and what sets them apart from every other generation. And it is exactly what you said. It's the birth of the atomistic individualism, um, the I can do this on my own and I don't believe in institutions um, Mm -hmm. and sort of sort of the the trappings of previous generations. 
you know, you believe that a lot of this stuff is a lie, you know, that it, that you have that sort of a, a core of cynicism in, mm-hmm. in, inside. And that's the Gen Xer way. And I, I actually sent a message to Gene Twinge, Twinge, the author. And I was like, so it's Han Solo, right? Like Han Solo is the Gen X character. And I did that again in a poll and I pulled that on Twitter and I got Gene Twinge to share it. And, and <laughs> I asked, I asked who is the Gen X character? And it just, it was Han Solo. It just ran away with it. And when I talk to guys your age, uh, you know, just to profile you, it's always like Han Solo is usually, usually like the guy. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Han Solo yeah. is usually the guy. And it's, it's cool. Like Harrison Ford is my favorite actor. Uh, I get it. Um, and so, no, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. It's a cynical generation. They're making these movies and uh, all the heroes are knocked down on their butts right now. And I, mm-hmm. I understand the criticism that some people have about that and the hurt feelings about that. Um, I don't know. I guess I just, I like, I like stories when people are down and they have to get back up. Um, if they're, if they're up, then what's, then what's the story? Like, right. <laughs> like, uh, nobody wants to hear the happy news. We want to hear, you know, how the, the, the comeback. You know? Yeah. Cause the stories the begin back. typically, typically the stories begin the hero's journey cycle. They're a nobody. They have to get the call to adventure, go through the struggles, become the hero. But then mm-hmm. if you do sequels to, to after that, well, what are they just going to be a perfect hero? Uh, and then that's that's it. So I, I think people just sort of wanted Luke and Han to be mentor figures, be a mentor, mm-hmm. be, you know, the, the the sensei who teaches the next generation and is a great master. Okay, I, I respect that. That could have been a really great story. But I also am a little bit of a cynical realist myself. And I happen to believe that people of a certain age lose touch with who they were when they were younger. Uh, when you start getting the gray hair, you go through a, a little bit of a moment and you mm-hmm. wonder how it is you got here. What did I believe in that got me to this point? Do I still believe in, in what I see when I look in the mirror? I'm old. Uh, and then I want to see that person snap out of it. I want to see them realize that they are there's more to life, that they have only yet begun to fight. Um, I want to see that. And I, I find that valuable. But I understand why there are so many fans who they are going through that moment of despair and darkness themselves, and they mm-hmm. don't want to see it reflected. They want to see the opposite. They want to see a model of strength that they don't have. And I respect that. Um, and I think, well, and, and with Han's arc in the sequels, I don't think that's as shocking to some of the fans as, because that's kind of always who Han was. Whereas Luke ended on a note of hope and possibility and positivity, you know, where that's what we remember from our childhood and growing up during an era where everything was so negative and developing us into who we are. Luke was that, like, that one of those single points of shining light, you know, and then to see him dragged down, I think in the sequels was a real bummer, you know, because it was taking one of those shining lights we had as children. And so I can kind of understand why some people would be upset with that. I mean, I, I was enthralled by the concept of old man Luke being, you know, the old man hermit, uh, grumpy look, 
uh, hurt Luke. I was intrigued. I wanted to know more of the story of why he got there. And I think there was a little bit of faltering with that. It was just kind of rushed into. We didn't, you know, at least with Obi-Wan, we, between the movies and then the Obi-Wan series, we can see why Obi-Wan is the way he is in the Obi-Wan series. We know why. Whereas with Luke, it was just kind of there and we didn't really have any context. And I think that confused some people, but um, yeah, there's a, um, an older book too, that we read back in the nineties, which was when generations collide. It's kind of an earlier version of, of the book you're talking about in terms of explaining how the different uh, generations were impacted um, by the life events that they had going on. But, um, but yeah. And what you said, you know, about, we want to see them snapped out of it. And, um, I know we've all seen the new Indiana Jones movie, and I think that's one of the things that they did right in Indiana Jones, the Dial of Destiny, was the story of Indy um, kind of starting off that way, the miser- bitter, miserable old man, uh, but he snaps <laughs> out of it, you know, and he kind of comes back to life, and we see that, uh, we see that Indy kind of return, and I think it, uh, I, I I like how Mangold did it. I think he did a, a decent job with with the indie story. Yeah, for that I, I do concept. too. I I have I have definitely advocated for how that was handled in that movie because it was over so quickly. Uh, the movie begins with him, you know, in entering re- retirement. He's retiring from teaching, so he's a little bit like, eh, I just I I'm at the end of my rope. The kids in the, my class don't listen to me. Most of my family and loved ones are dead. Marion's not in my life right now. And so mm-hmm. he's in a moment of malaise. And mm-hmm. everybody got very fixated in the trailer by him being shirtless in a lounge chair and holding a glass <laughs> of whiskey like he was some bum and loser. But right. I just I just found that so disingenuous because it was one morning in a guy's life. <laughs> Like, like yeah. he one one night he had a little too much to drink and woke up right. in his underwear on a chair. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I just I just can't get mad about these things. Um, and it was over in about ten minutes. He got the call to adventure, and he was back mm-hmm. out there and showing, you know, the ropes to some younger characters about how to be a great hero. Now, I I did say in that Twitter thread that kind of got us discussing this that it might take more creativity to have hero older heroes who are not sad and not depressed it might take more creativity to come up with a story where your older hero is still amazing and does not need a pick me up i mean mm-hmm. why is why is that so hard could someone give us that for a change because everybody seems to be repeating this cycle and it's getting a little bit old you know in yeah. The Last Crusade, Indiana's father was fun and spunky. And, yeah. he, you know, he was not feeling down on life. The guy was still having a great time. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I Obviously, they're not the same person. But could we could we maybe have a model of how to enjoy being, you know, older and, and wiser? That would be nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, you're... you're your question about the, you know, it being harder, I think for maybe the Gen X crew, that's, that's kind of doing a lot of the development of the stuff. I think it is harder for us right now, you know, because it's, you, you typically, you write what you know, right? Uh, you talk about what yes. you know, you, you, you do what you know. And for us, you know, bitter old man is, I think kind of what we know. Cynical old man is kind of what we know, but, uh, 
yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that Twitter thread. I thought it was really good, and I just kind of wanted to get your, your guys' thoughts on that. And, um, yeah, I think Indie, I think they, they didn't dwell on it too long, and I, I, I enjoyed that, too. It In a way, it almost seemed like they kind of dwelled on it too long with Luke, uh, and maybe that was another part of it uh, that was kind of, you know, it was kind of seemed to be dragged out a little bit. Um, but, yeah, Dial of Destiny. Go ahead, Struff. Without, well, yeah, without the context of how we got to that point, it did feel very dragged out, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then we were talking, Scruffy and I were talking, I think with Dial of Destiny, too, it was kind of fun. You know, some people are saying it's not Spielberg enough, but yeah. I, kind of, I, I kind of enjoyed it because it felt like um, uh, we are... Uh, I lost my thought. Um, oh, it felt like the tone was... The tone of it reminded me of in of Raiders, and the depth of it reminded me of Last Crusade, in a way. I, I, I'm kinda... with you. I'm with you on that. I think they yep. got it yeah. right. All right, so let's let's. Uh, we've been talking for a while. Uh, we really appreciate having you on as long as we've gone. Um, and uh, real quick, collection corner, Scruffy. Do you have anything? Six more comic books. Uh, even though only there were two new comic books this month, uh, I had walked out of there with six. So you right. know, the, right. the usual. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Over right. well, indulgence. You know. uh, Stephen, do you collect anything? Do you do? I didn't add anything to my collection this week. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about the collection uh, collection bit, and I don't really feel like I do collect anything. Um, gosh, something's go- something's going to occur to me. Right. <laughs> it's all good. Get- as soon as we no get worries off. no worries yeah. um but yeah let's uh let's we you know we really enjoy having you on the show um we uh you know it's been a pleasure to talk to you uh it's been a good time do you have any other projects in the works or we did talk about the podcast um, yeah you know again, i just would love i would just love if people followed me on on Substack. you can subscribe to my newsletter where i write about pop culture and and how to better your life it's this is the way.substack.com and if you subscribe on, on Substack, uh, you'll learn a little bit more about the podcast project, which is called Walk the Way. So we're right. going to be writing about This is the Way, and then we're going to help you walk it. So that's, that's very the, cool. the two-part project. Yeah, I'll be subscribing tonight, that's for sure, to the podcast. So, um, All right, well, all of our guests on the show become honorary members of Brown Squadron. You asked about a call sign earlier in the uh, uh, episode. So, uh, with that, you get a flight designation and you get a uh, call sign. And so, you are now Brown 29. And uh, we are the call sign I picked was Ryder and it's spelled R Y Y D E R. And who that's uh, named after is a senator in the Galactic Republic. And let me see, I got it. I am Hor- the senator. Uh, Horrocks Ryder. Um, was a vax or an angst that was his uh, the race and he served as a senator from the Rebello sector in the Senate of the Galactic Republic he was respected and loved by the entire Republic he had a quiet and soothing demeanor as well uh, was well known for his patience and insight he had a, sc- a career spanning over five decades and he was a major supporter of Valorum becoming Chancellor uh, when he did, and then he was still in the um, Senate during the whole prequel era. So, uh, yeah, so writer. So, welcome to the crew. I love it. Please put that in a tweet. I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to do some Absolutely. reading on him myself. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I will do that. Um, so yeah, so thanks for coming on. Um, again, How the Force Can Fix the World. I recommend it. Definitely a thumbs up from both Scruffy and I. We definitely recommend it to all of our listeners. It is well worth the, the read. So, um, Aaron, yeah, John, so thank, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank so, you. All right, so this is uh, that's the episode. We're good for the night, and uh, we'll do the sign-off, which is... Uh, uh, and this is Brown Leader signing off for the crew, and you have been listening to Hyperspace Heroes. That's no, that's moon. no moon. Probably the closest we've ever Hyperspace Heroes podcast can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, and most other podcast services. If we are not on your service of choice, let us know. To leave your five-star review, just click on the review button on your podcast service of choice and praise us at the maximum character limit available. To contact the show to comment, ask a question, suggest a conversation topic, or just to tell us how handsome we are, you can send us a DM on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts. You can also email us at brownsquadron at gmail.com. Star Wars, its characters, shows, movies, books, etc. You get it. Our properties of Lucasfilm and Disney. Hyperspace Heroes podcast has no affiliation with Lucasfilm and Disney, although we would very much like to. Hyperspace Heroes podcast comments and opinions are ours alone and the show is for entertainment purposes only. This is so we cannot be held liable when we say something dumb. If you're still listening at this point, we would like to say thank you for joining us on this exposition into a galaxy far, far away, and we appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you'll share the show with other fans and that you'll tune in again for the next episode. Hyperspace Heroes Podcast, The Legend of Brown Squadron. That's no moon! Sorry, he burped. <laughs>